kittens, we are back with another very special stay-at-home self-quarantine episode of the Brando Cast. And today, wow, it's kind of sad. My guest today was a character on the NBC procedural drama Crossing Jordan from roughly 2001 to 2007. She played a character named Lily Lebowski. She was a grief counselor. The show ended and the world never heard from her ever again. So I thought, why not throw a bone to someone who's just been waiting for so long and who I think is really fucking talented (laughs) and just never... Hollywood is such a cruel place. So, ladies and gentlemen... Well, the other thing I'll say about... Somehow my my guest ended up on the cover of the latest... I'm holding this up. You don't even see this on on camera because we don't use video people. But she's on the cover of the latest Northwestern magazine. uh, And the cover simply says, Catherine Hahn gets messy. Hahn! Brando! Holy fucking shit! I am so happy to see your goddamn face! (laughs) I... Well, I've been seeing... Nothing but your face for the last nine weeks again and again and again because this nerd (laughs) has watched the complete series WandaVision three times. Oh, I love you so much. Makes me so happy. I can't take it. I love it so much. I've watched the finale four times. Oh, oh, it's a time more than the when you texted me or emailed me early this morning. You found time to watch it again. Oh, oh, fuck yeah. And okay. do you know why? Let me just tell you this. First of all, Hi. Han, you fucking crushed it. Oh my god. You fucking I and I'm a, I'm an MCU nerd. Ryan and Liam Smith have they have a legitimate comic collection worth a lot of money. Oh. The Smith brothers fucking love you. Wait, seriously, your brother? Because I feel like that's a huge stamp of approval. I feel like I would get your love no matter what, but you would just be kind of like, you would just kind of, but to have your brother's legit um, love, no offense to you, is a real honor. (laughs) Both Ryan and Liam Smith, they fucking love you. As soon as you appeared, the nerd (laughs) theories started going crazy. The Smith brothers, all three of us, Brendan, Ryan, and Liam, were guilty of knowing that you were probably going to be Agatha Harkness. (laughs) And then nerding out on the possibilities, many of which I texted to your husband early in the fucking show. Mm-hmm. But we I thought think he that- was good. He didn't spill anything. <laughs> so, as as on behalf of the Smith family, mm. congratulations! Oh my God, Smith family! I made this was made for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it oh, was, welcome. and it delivered. I'll tell you, the reason that I watched the finale four times, mm-hmm. as you know, I'm Irish Catholic from Pittsburgh, yeah. Pennsylvania. We don't cry. If you cry, you get the belt. I needed to cry. It's cathartic. <laughs> it's cathartic. I needed to get it out. And mm-hmm. Wanda saying goodbye to the vision. Spoiler alert. Fuck you if you haven't watched it, by the way, listeners. Yeah, really. Fuck you if you haven't watched Yeah, really. Fuck you. So I needed a good cry, and I got that in spades. But... Mm-hmm. Han, you fucking killed it. So oh my gosh. I don't want to nerd out too much on WandaVision because I know that you've been Let's like on. Do it. Okay. okay, great. Okay, great. Okay, great. I just brought all my comic books out to show you. <laughs> I have like everything for you. I've got like what they gave me. The West Coast, the Avengers West Coast family reunion. Oh my god. Oh wait, that's an actual Catherine Hahn is holding up an yeah. actual comic sealed yes. uh, in plastic just like the Smith brothers do with their comics. I have a bunch of them though. I have this one of course. Oh yeah. Oh look at that. This is Scarlet Witch. It's a gorgeous cover. Exactly. And then I have a bunch of the West Coast Avenger ones. Let there be an ending the, and then some Fantastic 4. So, listen, let's just say I I went on my own deep dive. Did they give you Fantastic Four number 94, which I believe was Cat was Agatha Harkness's very first foray into the Marvel universe. Yes. Way way back it's when. 1961. <laughs> Here it is. Holy fucking shit Honey, you're looking at my research finder this is every time that she's appeared in in the uh in the universe from 1961 on i mean oh, she's gorgeous. oh my but there's even some i don't know if you've seen these but the most recent ones which are very boobalicious <laughs> like, uh, 
Agatha gets like it's very it's it, it's fascinating. But yeah, no, I did a deep. I did my research. Wow. I had to. I was stepping into a you know to a legacy. I wanted to do it proud. Um, a lot of comic fans know who Agatha Harkness is was, but a lot don't. Did you have? Did you ever hear the name Agatha Harkness? No. Yep. <laughs> I never have. I never have. I mean, honestly, like I didn't know anything beyond the Avengers movies, and even that, I had to be walked through again a little bit with my my kids helped me help like help walk me through it. But when I first went in to meet with them on this, which was like. I mean, the whole way it unfolded, Brando was just crazy. Like it just tell me, just tell me, because well, I have a great story I went for you. For like a general meeting with them, like which you never do for Marvel. It was just like they. It was like for nothing specific. It was just like a general meet and greet because that was like a genre that I haven't ever taken a swing at, and it would just sounded like so much fun. I never thought in a million years I would find myself there. Like you know, whatever. Like I just and they're so uh, they're just like the kindest, dearest. And then at the end of the meeting, Lou Esposito was like, hey, walk down the hall with me. I just want to say a quick hi to, I think, a mutual friend, uh, Matt Shackman, who's working on a project for us. And Matt happened to be in his office, like who directed all of WandaVision. And we know Matt from theater. He mm-hmm. had a little theater here and now he runs the Geffen and um, the Geffen Playhouse. And then we just set up like really sweet hi. It was good to see him, whatever. And then he uh, a couple of days later, I got a call to come in for this job. And I was led into this conference room and they had the whole of the series like laid out on the, on the wall. And then when I all, it was like, I was like, kind of like, kind of trying to follow it. Didn't know what was happening. 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 And then I just saw like, which I was so excited. I was like, in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I'm like, what are you talking about? I was so excited. I assume that you had, you guys gone to all the Avengers movies with, uh, with your son and your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If it wasn't me, if it was my husband, but, but they have all seen them all. Okay. So, cause the crazy thing about Marvel, and then I have something to tell you that I think you're going to find hilarious, but I just want to say to you and to the listeners, the crazy thing about Marvel, the actors that Marvel slash Disney slash Kevin Feige put together for all these movies, they are all heavy hitters. I mean, legitimate Oscar award-winning and Oscar nominated actors, Brie Larson, Scar Joe, Tom Hiddleston, Ruffalo, Downey Jr., fucking Michael Paul Bettany. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, Natalie Portman. Like, I'm, I'm with Tilda Swinton. Ben, yeah. I mean, there's like, there. I am so with you that like, I was walking into that general meeting. I was, so much of it was like, I, you attract crazy talent. Yeah. Like, the the amount of talent that comes to to work on these projects, I, I mean, is bananas. And Kevin, I think, really he respects it so much, and he also knows that you need an anchor, otherwise, it's so shallow. You know what I mean? Like you need something to take that two dimensional comic and root it into something three dimensional. To, in order to like get you know whatever emotional yeah ground it like, to ground it and kick ass yeah you have to be emotionally invested in order for it to like not just be paper thin and so I, I my hats are off to him for rec- recognizing that well to work with Paul Bettany Ugh. and Lizzie Olson Campbell Hall's finest alumni I know I mean holy shit now I read that they gave they gave you props early on. When you guys did the sitcom school stuff, like, I guess before you started, there was like a, a sitcom boot camp, right? Did that yeah. actually happen? It did. Yeah, it happened. We were able to have like, I mean, yeah, it was like, the, it, you know, we kind of sat around together and watched old sitcoms and kind of like picked apart genre and picked apart, especially for women. Um, it just kind of picked apart, like just where the voice landed, like when women were allowed to like, or not allowed, but like when it started culturally, culturally being okay to like have a period at the end of your sentence, drop your register deeper. Like you can audibly hear it. Like in those fifties episodes, it's really light and there's no, nothing is threatening. And then like you can, so that was a real pleasure to be able to do that kind of a deep dive. 
And then for Tiana too, to be there, to be like, there's no women of color, there's no color anywhere. Like what's happened. Like it's for, for us to be able to like have those amazing discussions and see what her frame of like her reference was in and to have all of us have those discussions together was who, and she's just amazing. I think too. I'm so excited for her future, but um, in this world, but oh, they, you mean photon, you mean Monica Rambo, <laughs> <laughs> but she, but I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, uh, uh, it was like a real luxury to be able to, to, to do that together. And friggin' Paul and Lizzie are just next level together. I, cause I do, I don't know if you, I mean, for me, the works like usually in a smaller scale <laughs> Yeah. that no one, you know, this is like, no one's ever seen anything I've done in this with scale. It's bananas. But I've always, I remember watching those movies with the kids and being always so struck by the connection between the two of them, uh, Vision and Wanda, and always being so moved that the most human of all was an Android, a, you know, robot. Like he just happened to have the most humanity and their chemistry was like in the middle of all this blowing up Michigas and this, the stakes that are like universe, you know, universe is going to be destroyed. Like that there was this like little ember of just hu- humanity between the two of them. And for, for Kevin to be able to want to take that and open it up and look at it, I thought was so thrilling. I think honestly, this is my feeling about this after four years of Trump chaos and one year of a horrible pandemic, America needed to see a couple in fucking love. And we all needed to gather around the traditional hearth of the television once a week on a Friday night that was would have otherwise maybe been binge, you know, whatever. Yeah. Disappeared. There was something about like a tr- coming together as a on a Friday night together that felt very nostalgic and um it was only because of that. I think that it was able to hit such a multi-generational audience because it was both nostalgic and thrillingly new at the same time. That's what, as an, as a fan, that's what I felt. Oh, well, (laughs) as someone who has no children, um, it was the first time in my life with a streaming show that I would get up, walk the dog at five 30 in the morning and start watching it by six 15. I love that. So much. Like, like, and I was just talking about this, about, you know, we had like a final zoom or whatever everybody did. Cause you know, I wish we could have gotten together. Cause this was like a deep project for me, Brando. Like I, I love these people very dearly. And because yeah. it was over, we shot it over this chapter, it, it took on such a greater meaning, of course. And there was something about the hex coming closer and, and seeing it, which was just like time, 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 time. And it was just like, for me, it was like, just letting go of your kids, like letting them grow up, like letting, like, it just became so moving to me. And so Friday night, this last Friday night, I mean, the kids were like, are you crying? <laughs> I mean, I was like, a blubbering. I was like, uh, 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 because it was like the experience of it. It was like that chapter. So it was like, it was on a micro, micro and macro levels. Uh, really, uh, really deep. Did Ethan cry? He is. I, I did not see a tear flow down his cheek <laughs> into his beard, but I did see a welling. <laughs> I can't lie to you. <laughs> but I did. I did see a glisten and a gathering of wetness, but I didn't see the actual going down into the beard. Okay, there are there are two things that I have to tell you. I've been dying to tell you. The so first excited. thing that I loved so much when you first reveal yourself to Lizzie Olson, Campbell Hall's finest alumni, uh, you're holding a rabbit. Yes. And I instantly warped back in time <laughs> to the Sandler Hahn kitchen yep. circa when you got your your first official family rabbit. Yep. And Ethan and I were sitting at the kitchen table. And your son came to the table with the little bunny in his in his arms. And he he was like, Oh, hey guys, look, check it out. This rabbit is so awesome. And he grabbed the rabbit by the front legs and bent them sideways. <laughs> I I heard I heard the rabbit go like <laughs> and, it, and it nipped him. <laughs> And I, <laughs> How old was he? he? He was as old as he was when you guys first got the rabbit. <laughs> That's a horrible story. 
I know, but it was somebody. He was tiny. He was a tiny kid. He was teeny tiny. I said, I said to Ethan, I said to Ethan, that rabbit, that rabbit's not gonna last a week. Oh my god! And then cut to ten years later, that rabbit Lou just last year passed away. Did he really? With our our family for a decade plus. Okay, well, that sweetheart. Oh my god, that toddler. Yeah, so (laughs) ten years ago, that's when. That's what he, I, I'll never forget the sight because I didn't know that a rabbit's legs could go sideways. <laughs> I mean, uh, for the people listening at home, the, the Sandler Hahn family at the same time had two or no, one giant, wonderful white canvas couch. Oh, yes. <laughs> that uh, immediately got colored with crayons. <laughs> no, it was a total mistake. I Well, if I could tell you the real story, but it would be bad. Basically, basically, I we had, I was like, guys, guys. I mean, we had like, it was, we were all, I mean, that house was so awesome and so small. And it, we were busting out of it. Like in our, so to the listeners, we had a hutch, a rabbit hutch in our kitchen because, <laughs> because we loved our sweet pet rabbit, Lou, my son's holding of it, notwithstanding uh, to have a, like, so we would be literally, it was in our kitchen. Um, and we had this white, for some reason, I got a white canvas couch for like the only like put like area that we could all hang out in. And at a, I was like, guys, we got to keep it clean. We got to keep it clean. And I <laughs> tell the story. No, I think I, who came home first and saw Kulk covered in marker. Would they use markers or crayons? No, I literally, basically what happened is I, I basically freaking but basically i stained the carpet let's just say or the i stained the couch and i was like oops and then i flipped like quickly flipped the cover over and uh i was like kids this could be a graffiti couch and then we all just started graffitiing around it's so fantastic it's so fantastic the couch no (laughs) it wasn't that the other thing i wanted to tell you so bad and I wish that this was a show on YouTube. Oh. The show on YouTube is me, Brendan Smith, explaining to our old friends, Betsy Thomas and Adrian Winter, the Marvel Universe. Oh, my gosh. We get together every week for socially distant cocktails. Mm-hmm. And for these last three months, I have been in fact, I'm the one who sherpered them through it. I'm the one who forced them to watch. The sh- not for They were oh to watch God, it because of you. It. But they are not nerds. Sure. They are not drawn to anything that is sci-fi, comic-related, but the show of me explaining. Okay, so you don't understand. So Monica Rambeau, see, in Captain Marvel, oh God, she I was a little girl. That show of you explaining it. <laughs> Everything. And also me explaining, well, Agatha Harkness first showed up in Fantastic Four number 94. She took care of uh, Sue Reed, uh, Richard and Reed Richard's son, uh, little son. And of course, she is uh, Agatha Harkness from Salem and yada yada, and she appeared in the Defenders and the Avengers, and and you know, in the comics, she helped Wanda and she protected the the twin boys. So I feel, Brendan Smith, I feel that what we're going to find out is that Agatha is there to help Wanda because ultimately we're going to find out that this whole thing is being controlled by Mephisto. If I'm Kevin Feige at Disney, I have backed the Brinks truck up to Keanu Reeves and I have said, "You are Mephisto, and you are going to be the villain for the next yeah, ten why movies." Reeves, can I ask you that? I'm I, it was I don't I it was just me because they've already used Jude Law. Because I feel like a lot of other people had thought Keanu Reeves too. It wasn't just you. Because because of the weight and the awesomeness of the Marvel universe and the awesomeness of these actors, you basically ask the question all the time: Who's next? Who's coming right. in next? When the nerds found out that that Keanu and Kevin had had a meeting. Nerd oh, world went crazy. Oh yeah, yeah, they went crazy, and they That's were like, why. "Is he going to be the Submariner? Is he going to be?" And so I thought he's going to be Mephisto, and so yada yada. But me explaining to non-nerds, I sound like a complete lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like I'm just so. Anyway, a I'm so happy for you that this. <laughs> This was able to exist. Thank you for you. And B that um, 
that it seemed to also be available to people that were not traditionally, that didn't have a way into the comics. Still yeah, that's how no. I sold it to Betsy. A Betsy Thomas, powerful showrunner, Adrian Winner, fantastic writer, uh, writes with uh, Catherine's husband. You've known Adrian since 1992, 1993. Yeah, they're still pokering it up Zoom wise. Yeah, so I so I tried to explain to them about the writing, the the Jack Schaefer show running, the writing, the the, the emotion, the characters. It's all grounded. Don't worry about the blasty blasty stuff. You know, get into a woman who's dealing with her grief. Her grief is so severe that she's able to create this world. Blah, blah, blah. And they still, t- the, the look that Betsy gives me when I launch into nerd details is a look that I've been getting since 1987, which is, Brando, you're done now. Okay. <laughs> look at you now. I mean, it's awesome, but it's also, but that's, but you know what? I'm with you though. Like the more I kind of got into the comics and the history, I, I'm like, and that it has evolved in this medium to this way, because I had heard a lot about the, the Mephisto and the nightmare theories too. And I yeah. think, you know, and this is not like, this is not in any way to put anything on anything, but we were, this is just an observation that I had been talking with, with somebody. And also with Jack was like, it's interesting though, that like, that these two women fighting is somehow not, was still like not enough. Like, they expected there to be something else behind the behind that, you know, that this story, that this was like, anyway, it's interesting. It's just, well, no, I'll tell you why here's the, and I'm saying this to the listeners, it's better. The second and third viewing is better when you remove the nerd expectation because the nerds yeah. have been given heroin for so long. They end all these movies with giant cliffhangers. So the nerds have been trained and it all went sideways when Paul Bettany said that there's going to be a I Luke Skywalker know. level. I think he felt really like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's me dressed as the white vision, w- whatever. But, it, well, but also, he's incredible as both. Like I was like, he really is subtly so different and so he's so good he, he's insane i wish we were best friends um oh he's I, so funny also like I, the first time we had a read through i think you would get a kick out of this but the first our first read through i had my glasses on as the viewer or the listener cannot see but i have these huge you know my glasses on and we were sitting across from each other and he was kind of like you know, looking at me and we were doing the reading. And then at a certain point he was like, I can't bear it anymore. And he took out of his bag, a lens wipe packet and just threw it at me because my glasses were so smeared with fingerprints and like just food and mush that he couldn't handle looking at my dirty lenses. For a second, oh. like, I love you already. Oh. I love you. It's fantastic. Well, again, to, to end all this nerd discussion, it's better when you remove the nerd expectations and you just watch it knowing that Doctor Strange is not going to swoop in at the end, that Keanu's not going to reveal himself to be the puppet master of everything. It's better, and it's just you two. Cause, and yeah, you, you don't trust, need it. Exactly. You got to trust the long game over yeah. there. Yeah. And then, and also that in this particular story, removing the expectations of it, like it is really about this woman's grief. And that is like a really powerful kind of revolutionary thing to me to think of a superhero origin story that is wrapped up in feeling but then there's also, you wonder, because at the end, like I saw that final shot and I was like, huh, okay, Dr. Strange too. Like, <laughs> I mean, who's going to get that? Well, all you did was kill it. All you did oh. was crush it. I'm so happy for you. I guarantee you there have been Disney executives going, do we do the Agatha all along sitcom? Do we just fucking bring back all those people to the little town and just shoot a sitcom? <laughs> How crazy. The, holy shit. The last thing, the fucking song. When the somebody fucking told me song. That it was like on a bill on billboard or whatever or on like iTunes, I was like, Are you kidding? Yeah. I saw it up in like it was like seven on iTunes when I checked. because I, I saw that on Twitter. I'm like It's bananas. But I know I said to you, I texted you when it happened, like I really thought that, that was like one of the most inspired fifty odd seconds in the Marvel universe. No, I, I sublime. And we had the most fun doing it. Like it was because it was when we were in every decade, we would take like 
at the end of whatever work we needed to do on that particular set, we would take like an hour and a half and be like, okay, let's do the theme song. And then we would just find little, we would steal little asides. And they, I mean, they were always the thing that made us, especially because some of the stuff was so heavy. Like it just made us laugh. Like, so hard. It, it's one of the best. Turns out I'm a ham bone too. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, but it's one of the best uh, TV theme songs of all time. Monkeys, Dukes of Hazard, Gilligan's Island, Agatha All Along. I mean, it's fucking amazing. So okay. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. The reason that I asked Catherine here today is to talk about another band and step back, nerds, because if you're a, a nerd of this band, we're not going to give you all the details. I've only got Catherine for a couple more minutes. So what we're going to do, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ. Every little kid in Silver Lake has a T-shirt by this band. <laughs> the Smiths were an English rock band formed back in 1982 in Manchester, England consisting of guitarist Johnny Marr, bass player Andy Rourke, drummer Mike Joyce, and lead singer Morrissey, Los Feliz resident Morrissey. Critics consider the Smiths to be one of the most important bands to emerge from the British independent music scene of the 1980s. Based on the songwriting partnership of Morrissey and Johnny Marr, the Smiths focus on a guitar, bass, and drum sound, and a fusion of 60s rock and post-punk, was a rejection of British dance pop at the time. Of course, Smith fans became obsessed with Morrissey's complex and literate lyrics, which combined themes of ordinary British life with mordant humor. Han, few things remind me of Northwestern more than the Smiths. I want to know, what do the Smiths mean to you? They mean so much to me. They mean a high schooler in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, saying I wear black on the outside because black is how I feel on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is, that's, like, that's basically what I, that is, they mean, Oh, I mean, they mean so much to me. They mean that sense of rain, that, that sense of like that the cloud cloudiness is okay. That the rain is okay. That feeling depressed is okay. That feeling, um, different is okay that being the weirdo is okay um and it made me really fucking long to be english like i really wanted to just be just 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 littered with cigarette butts eating a freaking meat pie but like i really but they meant he in particular and also his solo work but really meant a lot but um the smiths meant that's what they meant a ton to me at the same time as a lot of other bands. But in high school, that's what they meant to me. Morrissey and Marr first met at a Patty Smith show at Manchester's Apollo theater on August 31st, 1978, when they were briefly introduced by mutual acquaintances, Billy Duffy and Howard Bates. Billy Duffy, of course, is the lead guitarist of the call. When Marr decided to start another band in May of 1982, he showed up at Morrissey's front door with another mutual friend, Steve Pomfret. Marr and Morrissey bonded over their love of poetry and literature. Cut to early 1983, when the band eventually signed with Rough Trade Records, this after being turned down by a number of British labels. The band would then go on to release their debut album on February 20th, 1984. Simply titled The Smiths, the album was well-received by critics and listeners and reached number two in the UK, staying on the charts for 33 weeks. It established The Smiths as a prominent band in the 80s music scene in Great Britain. Notable songs on this album include Hand and Glove, Rail Around the Fountain, and What Difference Does It Make? Okay, I need to know this because uh, there are there are actual Brendan Smith family members in Hudson, Ohio. My <gasps> uncle Jimmy moved to Hudson, Ohio in the early seventies with his family. My cousin Hudson's Jimmy, gorgeous. Matt, Bridget, Megan—they're all from Hudson. My aunt Jean lives in Hudson right now. My aunt Myra. I know Cleveland a little bit, so give me give me a portrait of Catherine Hans, Cleveland, circa high school. Because okay. if the, is there if there's a new wave photo of you somewhere out there in the world, I kind of need to see it privately. Were, I mean, there's got to be somewhere. Like my prom picture was like, you know, I was like B-52s, but like it was so sad. I met my my date fell through. He like ran off to be a brick mortar for some church in New Orleans. He was my parents were not impressed with him, but I loved him because he was very punk. So I had to take 
uh, anyway, I called someone last minute and it was, did not go great. I just wanted to get smooched on prom and there were no takers. So speaking of Morrissey, I feel like there's, I was very attracted to, anyway, I, Catherine I, was left at the prom. She oh, had no one. No one. Oh also, my God. And also for an all girls school, they decided to have our after party at a, like a freaking arcade. And I was like, boring. Like we were all just throwing chips at each other. But it was me going to Catholic school, being taught by nuns, and then trying to think that I was like, you know, whatever. I had my motorcycle jacket. I had my freaking piano tie. I had my freaking whatever. We would go to raves. We would be like, I was really into the sugar cubes, you know, really into New Order. I was really into Echo and the Bunny Ben, like whatever. Like that was the stuff like that. I was like, oh, I just felt Bjork is the, is the human that I felt the deepest towards uh especially okay. the sugar cubes before she started her solo stuff but like that and still to this day i'm still like there's very few people that hit me as deeply as that particular artist but the smiths were in there for sure hard to dance to but definitely great to ride around to well it's a mood it's a mood and a it's vibe just mood music it's not it's not let's say not dance music and and uh, but it's a mood music, and I sh- certainly loved it. I felt very seen when I listened to this. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is it okay to be different in Cleveland circa 1987, 1988, 1989, or is it tough? It was tough. Like, I, I mean, I was like one of the you know, especially in that community, like it was like a we carved out our little and PS, I'm still like they're my closest friends on the planet, still this group of women in this all girls school, but like we, we carved out our little weirdo piece and we were all really smart, very overachieving. The nuns loved us and also were very confused by us at the same time because <laughs> they were like, we, you're working so hard, but you're also asking so many questions. And so like they were an, a little annoyed, but also engaged. So it was like, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of me throwing tampons around. Like they didn't know what to do with us. Did I you mean, have a favorite nun? Sister Deborah was our directress. <laughs> and I don't I I really loved Sister Deborah. She was she directed um uh many productions, one of which was a production of Stage Door, um, which was an a cl- of it's like from the 20s. It was like all about a bunch of actresses that lived in like a apartment in New York City trying to get jobs and I played the role of the actress that just couldn't handle it anymore, and then you know she runs off stage and shoots herself and i remember (laughs) remember the only place to run off stage at beaumont was into the wrestling room so i I ran i ran into the i had to run into the wrestling room and then there was like a scream and like a noise and then i was gone and then i had to wait in the dark wrestling room for the rest of the show because there was nowhere else to go so anyway sister deborah i think she's no longer with us but she was a big inspiration was she young and groovy or was she old but cool she was neither of which she was (laughs) she was she was just fabulous and also you know nuns are awesome because they're just committed that's a very nice way of saying it (laughs) okay i'm gonna skip through some smith stuff because we don't we don't have Catherine for much more the Smiths released their first compilation album in late 1984. Hat Full of Hollow contains BBC recordings along with two new singles and their B-sides. Notable songs on Hat Full of Hollow, This Charming Man, Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now, William It Was Really Nothing, and the B-side to William, How Soon Is Now. The band released their second official studio album, Meat Is Murder, on February 11th, 1985. It became the band's only studio album to reach number one on the UK charts, and it stayed on the charts for 13 weeks. The album was an international success and also reached number 110 in the United States, which was enough to get the attention of alternative stations like K-Rock in L.A. Notable songs from Meat Is Murder include The Headmaster Ritual and That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. Um, I want to say this about Meat Is Murder. When I get to school, I get to school in the fall of 1986. And people who've listened to this podcast have heard a thousand times. Divorce took me from Pittsburgh. Mom was like, fuck you, family. I'm taking my boys. And she moved us to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Albuquerque, New Mexico's heavy metal. But... 
the punk rock and the new wave kids in my high school were listening to the Smiths. And when I heard it, I was like, oh, okay, what's this? I'm not allowed to be public about it. Oh, interesting. No, because as a metal guy, you can't, you can't back in the eighties, if you were metal, you could not love new wave, but I secretly loved it. But when I get to Evanston in the fall of 1986, Every other kid on my dorm, I lived in Allison, had uh, Meet His Murder. Mm. And that, like Meet His Murder, and then when Joshua Tree comes out not too long after that, and Queen is Dead come out, that's what the dorms at Northwestern sounded like in the mid-80s. I swear to God, you could walk down the halls of Bob McCulloch and just hear Joshua Tree, Meet His Murder, Queen is Dead, The Cure, Depeche Mode of that time. I mean, it was, Evanston was super new wave. And that's when I... Awesome. Well, and that's when I was able to shed the metal guy thing. I remember like there was this cool guy who lived in Allison when I was a freshman. Uh, His name was Monty. And I remember walking down into the cafeteria one day and I had I had a Van Halen shirt on. And I didn't bring all my heavy metal shirts to school because I, I, I instinctively knew that, that probably wasn't a look that I wanted to walk around campus with, you know, ripped jeans and Iron Maiden shirts. But I had it. That was my uniform in high school. And I walked down to the cafeteria and I'm wearing a Van Halen shirt. And the cool guy of the dorm was like, hey, Brendan, who kicks more ass than Van Halen, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? And that's when I just felt like, oh, the, the mailman is here. That's an Australian cattle dog going crazy. That's when I felt like, okay, I, have to, I, I can't be a metal guy anymore at college. Yes. But I just the sounds of that, just when I hear the Smiths, I'm instantly transported back to Evanston of that time. Yeah, me too. So for me, it was like I'm instantly, oh, my God, my dog does the same thing. We, um, we just found out our dog banjo is half. Did Ethan tell you this? No. Half, half. He's the most Los Angeles dog on the planet. Our rescue. He's banjo's half, basically 50, 50 Chihuahua pit bull, which the mind reels. What? what? Yeah. Anyway, but that's so anyway, the mind reels and you just hope there's a lot of consent, but anyway, um, for me, it was the same thing. It was like junior, senior year of high school. It was like, same thing. I like go right back to that. And it's so funny having a child on the eve of it, like having a son who's on the eve of that period of his life where music starts to be like, Oh, this is who I am. And so like for, I mean, I don't want to like just to keep it all private, but like my, my son at some point to us both was like, really, he wanted to listen to old, he's really moved by he, what he calls old Kanye, which makes me feel really old. <laughs> but he is like, I was like, oh my God. Is like that, is that really, a thing? Is there, is there such a thing as old Kanye? I guess like Jesus is old Kanye. And I'm just like, wow. Okay. I feel so old. Um, but I, because it's so fun to be, and like profound to be now, like now looking at him on the, like he finds so much mean, I can see him with his AirPods on just like deep in it. And I remember, like you said, Joshua Tree, I remember that album. Like, I remember all of, I mean, that is like burnt into my subconscious, like in such a profound way. I remember getting to Northwestern and it was all about, I remember it being about Tribe Called Quest for us and Uh um, Beastie Boys and the Far Side. And it was like a lot of like, a lot of like rap happening, which I was like really, really turned on turn on by at the time. Also, like, I think just growing up in Cleveland too, that was just like a part of my, that was just like a part of who I was as well. Um, but I, yeah, that, that period of like now looking back, like from the precipice of like now, whatever age we are late forties, like looking down and being like, music is that art form that helps you define really who you are. It's like, Oh, well, just back to you. Like, Oh, these are my people. Or these are my people. Like, if you really listen to what you're turned on by, you can, it, it helps you like create a lens in which to like see the world. Like, it's really the deepest of them all. Um, it is so deep that it it was the detriment to your friend Brendan navigating the theater department at Northwestern correctly because <laughs> my thing was, Meow. oh, my, uh, my <laughs> thing was, no, my thing was like, oh, Chicago is my playground. Oh my God, I am an L ride away from all these incredible new wave 
punk rock clubs, Medusas, the fucking Octagon, Neo on Clark, all the bands, all my favorite bands come to Chicago constantly. And so my whole thing was like, I had such a split focus because I just wanted to go downtown and go to see shows. And I did to the detriment of, of like participating full bore in the theater department. Like I would like, look at like, you know, you know, when they would post the auditions for shows on the board and then you would see when the the productions would, would be, and I'd be like, well, the who are playing at Alpine Valley. I can't be in that show. Because I'm going to see the Who at Alpine Valley. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm sorry. Isn't that kind of awesome? Like, especially for those of us that are maybe, I mean, I, I say that I was brought up, you know, I went to Catholic school, but like in terms of like, for me at least, and like, and for anybody that doesn't have a particular like religion, that event of like a concert was like church. Yes. Like, that's like where I felt the most soul-like spiritually awake in ways that weren't embarrassing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I could just be like alive to it and that I feel like is the same thing that some people get in church. Like, (laughs) like I felt, I felt that same way in live listening to live music. The Queen is Dead is the third studio album by The Smiths, another giant Northwestern record, and it was released in June of 1986 with songs like The Queen is Dead, There's a Light That Never Goes Out, and The Boy with a Thorn in His Side. The album spent 22 weeks on the UK charts, peaking at number two. It also reached number 70 in the US. In its 2013 list, Britain's NME magazine named The Queen is Dead as the greatest album of all time. In March of 1987, the band released another compilation album of singles and B-sides, This Is Louder Than Bombs. It peaked at number 62 in the U.S. and was basically the American version of their previous U.K. compilation album, The World Won't Listen. In 2003, Louder Than Bombs was ranked number 365 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of 500 greatest records of all times. Big songs from that record, Ask, Panic, Sheila Take a Bow and Shoplifters of the World. Now, where were we? Han, Cabaret Metro for me was my church in Chicago, that club. Uh, I was so fortunate to be there when I was there because I got to see so many of my favorite bands, the Pixies. Wait, was that the old church? The actually old church? Or what was I that think one that was, I think that place was, it wasn't called the Palladium. Um, oh God, I know what you're talking you know what about. I mean? Not the Agora. No, the, any- the Cabaret Metro was a, was a, is, is still there. It's a phenomenal club that really attracted a lot of punk and new wave bands from the Midwest, like the replacements and who's doing uh-huh. it was near, it was near Wrigley field, but Wednesday nights at, at, at the Cabaret Metro was a thing and local bands would play there. And, you know, I fully participated in that to the detriment of my focus on theater. And I, I had a grad student at the end of my freshman year, basically pull me aside and say like, Hey, you got to take this shit seriously. Like people are paying attention to you. You have talent, but you're not focused on this and you will be crushed like a bug. If you don't get your act together for real, Judy Oliva. Yeah. I had her in one of those, like, you know, when you have like a grad student, who's like a TA in one of your like, yeah, she pulled me aside and she was like, you know, get with it. And I'm like, yeah, but see the grateful dead are coming to, to the Rosemont horizon. And so there's really nothing I can do about that. Like I lie, I would lie to get out of crew. They knew that I was always lying. (laughs) That's amazing. See, that's amazing for, for me. I couldn't like, there was nothing in the world that would get me out of the theater. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, see that. <laughs> but I would be backstage, but that was, the, those were the days that were, those were the days that like, I was talking about them. So many, like we would be backstage in those little struble smoking in full view of the teachers, just like in a, in a closed black box theater, just smoking off stage and then putting it out and coming on stage. Like I was like, wait, we weren't in, it wasn't the fifties. Like that was like, <laughs> That like a university, that's what happened. No, it was bananas to think about. When I got there, you could order liquor in Allison. You could just pick up your phone as a freshman and call Evanston first. No, we ordered. No, we ordered. That campus was nuts. In the fall of 1986, Bob McCulloch had the best party of all the fraternity parties. A fucking dorm. Their Wednesday night party was as good as anyone else's on campus. That that campus was crazy. Went to a fraternity party. I never went above basically the library. Yeah. 
until I came back for some sort of anniversary celebration. And then I was like, Oh, like I had, I had never seen a sorority. I'd never seen a fraternity in the entire four years that I was That was the second thing that got in the way of your friend, Brendan, focusing on the theater department. (laughs) Because I can send you countless SA photos of me uh, late in the night with my with my yellow tie wrapped around my head like a headband. Because I was the guy that would go to the spring formal down at the Drake or the Blackmore, the cap of spring formal uh, in a in a nice jacket and a shirt, but ripped jeans. Like that was my shtick. Sure. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, and as one of my fraternity brothers said to me when he found out that I was a theater major, I, I will never forget this quote. Oh no! You know a lot of theater majors are fags, right? Oh, no, no, <laughs> well, no, 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 1986, no, 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 Uh, We have come so, so far, but that the F word was used like that back then. And because I dwelled, you know, I had, I had a dual personality because I knew how to behave when I walked through the doors of the theater department. And I also knew how to behave when I walked through the fucking doors of a bar in Lincoln park or, you know, uh, 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 I was social chair for two years of my fucking thing. You know what I mean? Of my dumb fraternity. So I had, I had a strange duality about me. All right, let me read a couple more things and then we'll let Catherine go. We're going to just wrap up with some random, random stuff. Strange Ways, Here We Come is the fourth and final studio album by the Smiths, released on September 28, 1987. It reached number two in the UK, stayed there for a bunch of weeks. The album became an international success and peaked at number 16 in Europe. By the time Strange Ways, Here We Come was released, the Smiths had broken up. The breakdown in the relationship has been primarily attributed to Morrissey's irritation by Marr's work with other artists and by Marr growing frustrated with Morrissey's musical inflexibility. Marr particularly hated Morrissey's obsession with covering 60s pop artists like Scylla Black. Marr recalled in 1992, that was the last straw, really. I didn't form a group to perform Scylla Black songs. In a 1989 interview, Morrissey cited the lack of a managerial figure in the band and business problems as the reason the Smiths broke up. Both Johnny Marr and Morrissey have repeatedly said they will not reunite the band no matter how much money they're offered. In 2006, Morrissey declared, I would rather eat my own testicles than reform the Smiths and that's saying something for a vegetarian. Oh, Morrissey, Smiths, Catherine Hahn. I used to see him at Mexico City in Los Feliz all the time, way back in the day. That's so crazy that he lived, does he still live around here? I don't think so, but he lived, he lived in the extended Los Feliz area sometime, I think in the 90s, early 2000s, swear to God. Have you seen the Billie Eilish documentary? This is a tangent. Tell me. No, no, no. Tell me, tell me, tell me. I want you to see it. Okay. Anyway, she grows, she, it's her and her family. They clearly live in a bungalow on the East side and it's just, it's so moving. Like you just look at the future and you're like, it's going to be okay because of these people that are coming up behind us. And like the, the environment that she was fostered, that she and her brother were allowed to create in is so inspiring. I just, when you said the East side, it made me think of that. But and well, also, I think that, did she grow up in Highland you, Park? Is that what it is? I knew I it was so. on the east side. I, I didn't know when I was watching it, but I was like, it's got to be Highland Park or Eagle Rock or somewhere like that. It felt like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Han, your children are growing up in Los Angeles. Isn't that fucking bonkers? No, it's really bonkers. I was like, I cannot believe that my children are growing up without a sense of the seasons, like the real seasons. Yeah. And without that a Cleveland sense. has seasons. Oh, yeah. We have seasons. Like. I like a crocus in the spring. <laughs> I I like I need my thunderstorms. I need my I, I, you know, I need my the smell of the leaves burning like I need all that. Like it's hilarious to see my daughter being like I'm cold and I'm like you have no idea. <laughs> like a plate of pierogies on a cold and rainy day. Okay, exactly. Oh my god, what was that place called? Oh, there's some there's some awesome awesome Something house, so like something Haas in Cleveland. Hoffbrau Haas. Mm-hmm. 
It's in, anyway, it was in Cleveland and had great pierogies. Um, the last thing I want to say about creative children, people listening to this podcast, if you don't know, please go to YouTube and type oh. in the words. I think you can get there. Glen Gary, Glen Ross, comma, dolls. American Girl Dolls. American Girl Dolls. And I think that that will take you to a video that the uh, Sandler Hahn family filmed. The Sandler Von Hahn Trap family? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It is so goddamn good. And the sound of your daughter doing uh, Mammoth is just sublime. Yeah. I mean, I would take credit, but she wouldn't let me. And she is her own bird. And she was very excited to swear off camera over and over again. And I think she actually makes a very convincing uh, Pacino. (laughs) <laughs> it's so it's so good it's as good as you in fucking wandavision han i'm just so happy for you Aww. welcome to nerdland welcome to hey look if you never work again you can go to every single fucking comic-con and make some fucking money and i'll sign like 15 pictures and then I'll just stand there and then they'll politely ask me to leave. Just a stack of, of, of stills from I love Dick. Sure. And no one will have any, idea. I'll just kind of, I'll just be in there. They'll be like, wait, I, I don't remember. I love Dick being. Yeah, exactly. What just tell the fans out there because WandaVision had some sitcoms this is the last question. And I'm gonna let you go. What sitcom did Catherine Hahn test go to network for that? She didn't get that became a big thing. I mean, choose your own adventure. There have been so freaking many. Like, there, if you really want to talk about a multiverse, like, there is a, a gazillion different avenues. But I think the one you're talking about is available to watch, my audition, which is humiliating. But courtesy of the amazing Allison Jones, who's a cast, the casting director. And a lo- I'm in good company in this one. Which this was one. what? The Office. I probably remember that, but I don't remember that. So were you up against Jenna? Yes. And she was the only person that ever should have had that part. But if you look it up, like there's a, a parent, someone, I think Allison Jones did, but somebody put out like a, a, like the, the off the other office audition. So it's like Adam Scott, Seth Rogen, like it's a bunch of us that are, are auditioning for the parts that everybody else eventually got. And you see immediately why the cast was chosen, why the cast that is the cast was chosen after seeing our auditions. <laughs> well, it all worked out. Because the world needed you to be fucking Agatha Harkness. You crushed it. I am so honored that you spent this time with me today. I'm going to invite myself over to your home at some point when this is all over. We have over. to socially distance, do something. Yeah, we will. Some Irish whiskey in the backyard. I'm going to talk to your husband about that. All right, figure it out. Um, you're the absolute best. So thank um, you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Go cats. I adore you. And this was so fun and the best way to, um, just the best afternoon to have on a Monday. Okay. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. And to the rest of you, thank you so much for liking, subscribing, listening. Uh, the Brandocast is growing exponentially and it's produced, of course, by Mr. Richard Sheltinga. So until the next time, cats yeah, and growing. kittens. Yeah, it's growing. Yeah, it's growing. Yeah, it's getting bigger and bigger every time. <laughs> He's done. <laughs> <laughs> Everything